0: This is so what does Judaism say about where interesting and challenging life topics are discussed in the context of Judaism. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox with me as always is the eloquent Rabbi Mayer Beer. Rabbi Beer, how you doing? Fantastic. I thought it would be fun to continue our discussion about prophecy. What does Judaism say about prophecy take 2? Yeah, there you go. Prophets. <laughs> it's a long it's a long topic. It's hard and uh, often ignored because it doesn't really we simply doesn't apply to us, or if you will, and it's, it's more esoteric. It's not like Shabbat or kosher. These are things that are hard to understand, and it's hard to relate to.
1: Yeah, but um, it's so much the part of the fabric of our history that it's a topic which I think is uh, certainly worth uh, you know, exploring. So let's dive in a little bit deeper here and figure out where, where does prophecy go from here? So who are the prophets? What are the qualifications for prophecy? There's a line that the Talmud writes, and this is from tractate in page 38a, that God only rests his presence, which is a reference to who is going to be a prophet, on a gibar, a strong person, an asher, which is typically translated as a wealthy person, a chacham, a wise person, and lastly, an of a humble person. So the four qualifications are strength, wealth, wisdom, and humble, and being humble.
0: And And humble is you know so it's, it's certainly a wild card there because if you were strong and you were wise and you were wealthy certainly humility may not be there so we we do want that one well, the other three are kind of interesting why would you assume that why would you so when i think of profits i i i think of maybe i'd say wise but i'd probably actually think poor and i might even think feeble because why would why would i want some sort of strong person explaining that so i think it's important to to sort of unpack those ideas of of, of what it means and and, uh, you know, uh, what does wealthy mean? What, what does strong mean? And why would that
1: be important for prophecy? Again, I would think the opposite. So I, I want to raise a point, and And the, if, you, if you can share something with me, I'd appreciate it. Um, there is a discussion. Maimonides uh, writes that strong means a person who is, you know, has strong in his character traits, a strong character development. Wealthy means a person who's happy with what he has. But... Uh, but others understand this, and the Talmud seems to indicate this that it means something literal. I mean, I, I first,
0: like I like the literalness of it because that's the way it was written. You know, I, I'm sure my can be added to this, but you know, I have a piece here from Rev Hirsch that says exactly what strength means here, and and let's go with wealth as well. Here's what he says. Here's with with one sentence. Here's here, This is what Rev Hirsch says. With one sentence, Jewish prophecy is sharply differentiated from all that certain circles tend to thoughtlessly ascribe to it. Not without reason is Gevura, healthy, physical power, cited as the first prerequisite for prophecy. Look at how they try to rob Jewish prophecy of its power to help and build up the world and mankind. First, they deny its clear divine nature, and then they relegate it to the dim realm of hallucinations, magnetic clairvoyance, and so forth. These, however, are symptoms deriving from states of weakness, sickness, or morbidity. By contrast, the very first demand that our Jewish prophecy makes on its bearers is gevurah, health and strength. For only with a healthy, unweakened body can the other conditions be attained. Clarity of mind, that can draw chokhmah from the well of Torah, wisdom, which is open to all, and also osher. Independence and self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. This is not someone who is happy with what he has. This is someone who has enough money to be deemed wealthy and is self-sufficient. Is not bribable. This is someone who has a lot, and they're strong. They can't be taken advantage of. They're 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 not feeble-minded. They are
1: physically and emotionally strong. That's what Reverend says. Yeah, I love how you put this this idea of independence because uh, you know we associate cult leaders sometimes with being these like prophetic-type characters, and these are the most needy people. Like, they need the followers. Whereas the true prophet is a person who has this like innate independence and self-sufficiency. Some of the other qualifications that we have are the chachma, the wisdom of, of the prophets. Maimonides writes that the nature of the wisdom that a person is going to have to achieve is a person who is one who has gone in the pardes, the Pardes is a reference to the mysteries of the Torah, the Kabbalah of the Torah. The language actually indicates that a lot of these things are hidden, and this is something we've discussed uh, many times within the Agada, within the you know the non halachic parts of the Talmud, be it the stories, the moral teachings. Encoded in this are a lot of these you know deep esoteric ideas of Judaism, which a prophet is certainly going to have to be very familiar with. The Rambam also writes that it is a person who is isolated from other people. And what this means is not a person who is isolated from society, but a person who's careful about the company that he keeps. For a person to be in the proper state in which he can achieve prophecy, he needs to be surrounded by like-minded people. So an analogy for this would be that if a person is trying to write his thesis, um, if you're surrounded, if you're in a uh, library, full of scholars, that's an environment which is conducive to that. Yeah, it, it creates
0: uh, I don't a healthy competition, but you, you certainly f- you feel at ease. You feel like you can grow. It's it's like when you when you're a part of a sports team, you're on that team there together with those people, you're not going to do two a days with, you know, with 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 the stoners. That's not who you're going to be with.
1: Right. So so prophecy is not something which will typically happen by a person who just appears out of nowhere. Now, I, I want to make a point that and this is really just a, a small component of like the chapter of prophecy, there were individuals in history who achieved prophecy without expecting it because God had a specific mission in mind for them to share. But the far more common concept of prophecy is people who achieved it, and we'll, you know, we'll discuss this later, uh, through self-development, and these people were people who grew following these basic techniques uh, into prophets and this is a, there are people who are strong, who are independent, who are super wise and super knowledgeable about all the you know, esoteric little dark quarters of, of Judaism. Who are really knowledgeable about, about everything and along the way achieved you know, whatever, net, you know, whatever goals had to be passed to achieve prophecy. And one of the very important components of this is mental discipline. These are people who are able to focus their minds on specific tasks, can absolutely dominate their own heads. Which is, you know, one of the most profound things that these are people who are the furthest from being weak, or or being, you know, feeble intellectually, or
0: hallucinogenic. Exactly, these or, are people or, who have absolute or not discipline. attached to reality. These are people right. who are yes attached to reality
1: and absolutely, you know, able to focus on things. Um, and the last thing which we mentioned, which was being humble, the the concept of hum, of humbleness is something which is key to prophecy. And I'll quote two passages from the book of Shmuel of Samuel, where a description of the prophet Shmuel, Samuel, as, you know, there's a couple words that the prophet, that the, that the scripture or the writings teach us, which give us indications about the importance of humility. So number one is, there's this expression, which is, which is found many places in the Chumash, of a prophet saying, Hineni, here I am. There's a certain, like, you know, I don't have an agenda in my religious growth. I am ready for wherever it takes me. I'm not doing this for a specific reason. I'm like I'm I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm standing at attention, so to speak, to borrow uh, a military term. Right. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to become
0: wealthy. I'm not trying to become famous. I'm not. I may not even be trying to become wise. I'm just trying to be a a good vessel for for, for spiritual growth.
1: And it's developed as it can possibly be. Wow. So we find this. Shmuel says, "I am hinani. I am here when God calls him." Avraham has a similar language. Uh, God calls Avraham and he says, "Hinani, here I am." There is a, there's another repetitive language uh, in in the book of Shmuel. This is in the first chapter of Shmuel, where Shmuel is told by his teacher Eli, who was is, who is the high priest, uh, that like you, you'll know that that you're a prophet. when when you know you as a servant of God hear, and Shmuel says Shemayavdacha uh, like I hear, and it's both times this term is in the present tense. What you would think the, the verse should write is that when you will hear the word of God, you'll know that you're a prophet. And Shmuel you know, would, would reply, you know, when he heard it, I heard it. But both of them are in the present uh, tense. When you will hear in the present, you know that you're a prophet. And Shmuel says, I hear, not I heard, when he replies that he actually, when he confirms that he, that he had, that he had uh, achieved prophecy. And this idea of hearing is, is a state of being. It's not that you heard physically something or you will hear something. A state of being where you're open to listening, where you're open to where it will take you. And from an intellectually, an intellectual standpoint, which is something we can relate to more so than prophecy, you are intellectually like maxing out when you're opening to where it will take you. Like if you're running a scientific experiment and you would like the results to show you something, that would inevitably shift your mind to seeing that.
0: Right. There's a confirmation bias that comes with those types of uh, feelings right. and behaviors. But
1: when you're you're ready to hear it's a state of being it's not it's more it's certainly an experience but it's a state of being part of the prophetic experience is that you have to be willing to hear whatever it is that you're going to hear
0: even if it's uncomfortable even if it goes against what you think
1: already there's right. a it's, it's such an emotionally healthy right place to be so in fact this humbleness is like this true hard character development and that's really hard to achieve to to go on a on a on a intellectual and spiritual journey without biases, I'm not doing this to show anybody anything. I'm not doing this because I need to achieve certain things. I need to see something. Wherever it takes me, it takes me.
0: Did they need to be wealthy for for a similar reason? Did they need to be wealthy so that p- other people would not think they were doing this for material gain, or so that they themselves would know they weren't doing it for material
1: gain? Yeah, that, that definitely seems like a like a like a very likely uh, uh, way of looking at this. Um, and and just following the way you the way you you express this idea, it's possible the wealth is subjective, meaning there are people that are just very self-sufficient without needing huge amounts of money, right? It, it almost seems like it's just a
0: very healthy person who's not needy, he's not physically needy, he's not emotionally needy, he's not. Uh, a- monetarily needy, and it doesn't mean that he, he might not even be the smartest, he might not even be the wealthiest, but he has a, a, a way about him that is powerful in terms of he doesn't need other people's approval. He's, he's accomplishing something on his own in his way that is for, for the benefit of, of all, and he's open, he's honest, he's there, he's a, he's a, he's a vessel for change and to make change.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the Talmud gives us a story, and this is from uh, Tractate Sota. Page 48b, the Talmud writes that after the era of prophecy closed, it's you not know, these kind of like little prophetic like experiences. And the, there was an experience, or this what's called a boss called this heavenly voice, which said that the sage Hillel was a person who, had he lived in an age of prophecy, would have been an accomplished prophet. He didn't live in such an era and therefore wasn't a full blown prophet. However, this sage Hillel was a person who had a, achieved the character development necessary. For attaining prophecy, and and the Talmud continues that when Hillel passed away, they eulogized him by calling him a chassid, a righteous person and an un- anava, a humble person. So this kind of well-rounded emotion uh, is the trick to being the highest caliber of Torah scholar and also being a, and also achieving prophecy. So you know we see these parallels between the chachma, the wisdom that a prophet needs, but also this anava, this humbleness, which is a core component of uh, achieving prophecy. Yeah. So I want to give one more really interesting idea about who were the people who achieved prophecy, and that is the uh, there's another book from the from the Ramchal from the Letzada called Mesiel Secharim, the Path of Just, which is a really a book of ethical teachings. The end of the book, and this is a series of of levels or steps that a person achieves one after another. The towards the end of the book, it starts veering off into the kind of the great unknown. The <laughs> great unknown. And it goes from a person who is a, 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 um, a tahar, a, well, I guess we translate it as a pure person, a person who has like, no defects spiritually, to being a kadosh, a holy person. And kadusha is a prerequisite for the final step, which is rocha which is a person being able to achieve these like tangible spiritual experiences of having like the divine presence and getting in touch with like real spiritual reality. And the Yeramchal writes that the difference is that a Tahar is a person who will, like, be completely removed from, like, any, you know, physical desires. A person who is not needy at all physically. But a kadosh is a person who's even beyond that. It's a person who can experience the physical world completely spiritually. He's so elevated. He doesn't have to be disconnected from the physical world. He can actually... You know, in you know, connect to the physical world in a way that is absolutely spiritual.
0: Does that mean that, and that's beautiful. Does that mean that for us, when we have things in our own lives that are that are moments of kedusha? like Friday night making kiddish on wine or things like this, that those moments are areas where we're tapping into the spiritual world in a similar vein, even though we're not prophets?
1: I, I think that's absolutely true. And
0: we're not achieving that necessarily 24-7. But it's giving us a, a, a sort of an insight and a highlight into what it means. We've all had spir- experiences that were physical in nature, but spiritual in experience. Yeah. You know, we, we've had those moments where, you know, it, maybe it, it, like on a low level it might be at a concert or something, but you've had those moments of transcendence, but that transcendence happens through the physical world. I, I think a, a, a beautiful Shabbat experience sort of really concretizes what it might be like to, to live on that level, if, you know, for an extended period of
1: time. Yeah, no, this, this is, I, I think this is 100% correct. Uh, and to take this idea further, like, so, so what does this mean to live like that, in, like, an, in, like a zenith, you know, like an absolutely high level, the Ramchal writes, he like kind of just briefly mentions that when the Kohanim, the Jewish priest, would eat sacrifices, this was an act of kedusha. Now, sources teach us that priests that had achieved this like maximum spiritual level could eat sacrifices and they wouldn't actually need to go to the bathroom, similar to eating the mun the mana from the Chumash, in which they could involve themselves in a physical act of eating meat, and there would be like no physical waste from it because it was this spiritual experience. Now, we don't do that. We're not we're not in this maximum spiritual spiritual mode, but this is something which is theoretically achievable by human beings where they can they can have an absolutely spiritual experience with the physical world. And prophets would do these things. The uh, Rabino Baha'i writes, uh, the Chumash tells us that Moshe met up with his father-in-law right before the giving of the Torah, and the Torah writes that that Moshe and Aaron and the seventy elders all had all had a meal. And Rabbi Noachai writes that these meals, these festive meals, were experiences in which they'd have these like wonderful, like festive meals that would help them achieve prophecy. They would they would be so spiritual in their physicality that this would be part of the way to transcend to to the prophetic level. Uh, he writes that Yitzchak was given delicious food by his son, Esav, before he blessed him because he was trying to get into that zone where he could be so spiritually advanced that he can give him this powerful blessing. He writes that, as you mentioned before, prophets would use, or people training or, or attempting to achieve prophecy would use music. Maimonides writes this, that one of the ways that people are, who are in this high level trying to achieve an actual prophetic experience... We use music to 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 help them develop these these senses. Music is that like physical experience, which is you know has those like most overt, I guess, spiritual part uh, of any physical experience that I think people can have.
0: And again, it's it's amazing because it's antithetical to what you might think about prophecy. But also, when you deeply think about it, it makes so much sense because we are physical beings, and if God wanted us to be purely spiritual beings we would be spiritual beings like the angels. The fact that we are physical and God is seeking connection with us, it just makes sense, as I'm thinking about it now deeply, it makes sense that the physical world could and should be used in a way that would elevate a person to a place where they feel that deep connection to God, where they could then reach whatever this state, again, we don't know exactly what this state looks or feels like, that they'd be able to do that. So there's a, a bunch of misnomers that we're able to sort of throw out here, which is, a prophet could not be weak, they could not be poor, they couldn't be needy, they couldn't be feeble, they couldn't be mentally unstable, they could not be on drugs, right? They were people who were completely worked out, humble, strong, intelligent. People, people other people looked up to them, I mean, there was so, so much happening in their lives, and then on top of that, they were tapping into physical experiences to bring them up to a place where, you know, where they were able to reach spiritual heights, you know, it's it, it just unbelievable. And if you think about it, it, it does begin to make sense. <laughs> okay, until next time.